This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Monster Books Podcast. My name is Jessica, and I'm your host for this podcast that talks about children's books that adult horror fans will love. So today's episode is about possession stories, about demons. Possession stories have been really popular, especially since the 60s and 70s, I think. Obviously, The Exorcist is probably the most famous example in both books and movies. But obviously people have been fascinated with demons and possession for pretty much as long as we've been telling stories. People are fascinated with questions of identity and knowing what parts of you are really you and what what parts aren't. Um, So we're going to get into a couple of really interesting books today. They're two books. They're actually two of my favorite books, to be honest with you. I probably say this every week about every subgenre, but I really love possession stories. I think they offer a really interesting window into questions that horror delves into. It's something that's really cool for kids books to explore because, you know, a big part of childhood is learning who you are, exploring your identity, and what is a possession story if not a question of identity? Which part is me? Which part is something else? How do I figure out what the difference is and where those boundaries lie? How do I explore who I am? But obviously, that's not something that you stop figuring out once you hit 18. You're always figuring out your identity. You're always changing a little bit. So I think stories like this that play with how much of you comes from inside you, how much of you comes from outside forces, I think that's a really interesting thing to keep reading about and thinking about even as an adult. We're going to start off with The Good Demon. Uh, This is a YA book, young adult book. It's by Jimmy Kajolis. And before I get started talking about it, I won't go into the specifics in this discussion, but there are some content warnings for this book. There are content warnings for sexual assault, for substance abuse, and for animal cruelty. I am a big believer in content warnings. They're very important. I think that authors and publishers and critics have a responsibility to give people these content warnings in case there is something that's triggering to you. I have seen some controversy over this among horror readers who think that, you know, if you're reading a horror book, if you're watching a horror movie, you're expecting to be triggered. No, that's not how it works. You should always give content warnings and trigger warnings for people in case they encounter something that's going to be harmful to them. If if something is going to set them back with regard to mental health or some kind of behavioral disorder that they're struggling with, you should always warn people about that stuff. If you think that content warnings have no place in horror, I could not disagree with you anymore. Horror should have content warnings just like everything else. You know, it wouldn't be an episode of the podcast if I didn't get on my soapbox about something a little bit, but I will try to keep it entertaining. But I just want to let you know, I do care about you listeners. I do care about people who read my reviews and listen to my podcast. So if there are any trigger warnings that I think y'all need to know about, I will definitely let you know about them. And if I ever uh, neglect to mention something, please call me out on it because I will correct it as, as quickly as I can. So we're going to start out with the synopsis for The Good Demon. Claire has been miserable since her exorcism. 
The preacher that rid her of evil didn't understand that her demon, simply known as her, was like a sister to Claire. Now, Claire will do almost anything to get her back. After a chance encounter with the son of the preacher who exorcised her, Claire goes on an adventure through the dark underbelly of her small southern town, discovering its deep-seated occult roots. As she searches for her, she must question the fine lines between good and evil, love and hate, and religion and free will. So, The Good Demon is a southern gothic story. There are very few things that I love more than southern gothic. And if you're a southerner and you've read this book already, you probably picked up on the fact that Jimmy Cajolis is definitely a southerner. There are just little details. The way he writes about the setting and the, the dialogue, it feels really authentic. It's not just a book written by somebody who throws a few y'alls in there and decides, oh, yeah, that's southern enough. No, this is this is a true southern gothic story. It's all about this small town with all these secrets and this corruption and grotesquerie that you find in southern gothic stories that I love so much. And Claire is a really cool character. She's a really realistic teenager. She doesn't talk like an adult with a few teen slang terms thrown in. She talks like a kid. She's smart and she's mature, but she's still a teenager. But she's super relatable, especially to spooky folks like horror fans. You know, Claire is kind of the outcast. She's kind of the weird kid. She likes hanging out at the creepy antique store and finding strange things to bring home. She name checks some really cool horror movies and books. She she talks about watching Eraserhead and Don't Look Now and The Wicker Man. And she reads Johnny the Homicidal Maniac which was my first ever comic book that I read. And it just, if it probably will feel really familiar to a lot of horror fans that you'll, you might recognize yourself in Claire. Not that you have to recognize yourself in a character to enjoy a book. A lot of times that's the point of reading is to find people that don't look like you and learn about them and empathize with them. But it can feel nice to be seen in the pages of a book. So that, that was something that I liked about it, that she's She's a cool kid who doesn't feel cool and she doesn't name check the the typical, oh yeah, I'm really into Nightmare on Elm Street. And I love Nightmare on Elm Street, don't get me wrong, but you don't see a lot of kids books that talk about, you know, Robin Hardy's The Wicker Man. So anyway, it's a really sophisticated book and I hesitate to say, I hesitate to use the word sophisticated when I'm talking about kids books because I feel like that can come across as condescending. Like I, I'm saying that most kids' literature is immature or unpolished or is inferior in some way. And I'm not saying that at all. Not at all. There's just, there's so much depth to this book. There's something really special about it. And it's not, you know, oh, it's deep for a kid's book or oh, it's special for a kid's book. No, it's just a really special book. There's a lot of emotional depth to it. There's a richness to the scene that the author sets. This southern gothic story where you've got this intricate plot about these occult origins in the town. And, you know, like I said, the descriptions of the town are so spot on for anybody who's, you know, spent summers in small town southern United States. There's just this lived-in quality to the book. It just feels special somehow. There's, There's so much depth to it. There's so much authenticity to it. And for a book with such a unique take on a possession story, I especially love that. You don't often see possession stories where people are trying to get their demons back. We start out the book 
Claire has already had the exorcism performed on her, and she's desperately trying to get her demon back because she misses her. So many possession stories start out with either the person hasn't even been possessed yet, then they become possessed by a demon, and the central conflict is trying to get that demon out of their body, to get that demon's claws off of that person's soul. One of the things I love so much about this book is we've completely flipped it. We've started after the demon has been exercised, the demon's gone. Supposedly, that's the happy ending that everybody's looking for. But Claire's not happy. She loved her demon. She still loves her demon. She misses her demon. And she wants to get her back. It's a really interesting look at toxic relationships and the things that we'll do to get back to relationships that aren't good for us because either that's all we know or it's better than nothing. There are a lot of people in this book who have these empty voids inside themselves. They're all lonely and they're all trying to deal with that loneliness in different ways. And the fact that Claire is chasing a demon to fill that hole in herself, it feels like that metaphor would kind of weigh the book down. Like she's literally chasing a demon to fill a void inside herself. Substitute a demon with alcohol or drugs or sex or anything else. And you can describe a lot of people on this planet, you know, people chasing after something that's bad for them to fill the loneliness that gapes inside of their souls. But it really doesn't, it doesn't weigh the book down. It's a smart metaphor, but it's not an overwrought one. And like I said, Claire's really likable. Obviously she has her issues just like everybody else in the book, but you don't necessarily root for her to get her demon back, but you root for Claire. And again, not every book has to have a likable protagonist or one that you want to succeed. But in this one you do. You want Claire to be okay by the end of the book. You want everything to work out for her in the end. And you're not sure that that's going to happen because it's really creepy. It's really mysterious. This little southern town is so strange and so eerie. Um, you know, like any good southern gothic story, there's so much going on underneath the surface that most people don't know about, or if they know about it, they just never talk about it. And I, I really love stories like that, where when you scratch the surface, you see how strange and disturbing life really is. Because I think that's how most people live. You know, we operate on the surface level. And if you look a little bit deeper, everybody's screwed up. Every town is screwed up. And learning the nuances of the ways in which people are screwed up can be very interesting, especially in books. So if you're looking for a possession story that subverts the traditional storytelling method, this is a great one to check out. If you like Southern Gothic, if you like different takes on possession stories, I highly recommend The Good Demon. It's, it's really one of my favorite books that I've read in the past few years. Okay, our next book is Nightlights by Lorena Alvarez. I usually try to group my podcast episodes by age range. So I'll talk about young adult books on one episode, middle grade books on another episode, um, I'd love to talk about picture books sometime on the podcast. I realize that might be a little harder sell for some of you because there's a lot of stigma around reading kids books as an adult. Uh, you can sometimes get away with reading a middle grade or young adult book in public because you've still got you know your Kindle or you know this hardback or paperback book that looks like a quote-unquote real book but you know, I've read picture books in public as an adult and I've gotten some really strange looks for it, so I get it. But, you know, don't be embarrassed to read picture books. 
some of the best art in the world can be found in picture books that are written for children. So anyway, you know, there's another soapbox for you. I apologize. It's something I'm prone to do. I'm prone to tangents. So Nightlights by Lorena Alvarez. As always, we're going to start with the synopsis. Every night, tiny lights appear out of the darkness in Sandy's bedroom. She catches them and creates wonderful creatures to play with until she falls asleep, and in the morning she brings them back to life in her whimsical drawings. When a mysterious new girl appears at school, Sandy's drawings are noticed for the first time, but Morphe's fascination with Sandy's talent soon turns into something far more sinister. Like I said, I'm, I, you know, I might be cheating a little bit with this one. It's rated ages nine and up, which is technically middle grade, but this, this is an all ages book that anybody will love. I guarantee you adults will, they'll love this book. They'll love the art. They'll relate to the story. It's so re-readable. This is a book that I've read several times. It's just like The Good Demon. It is one of my favorite books ever. Uh, not just because of the gorgeous art, but I, I can't talk enough about Lorena Alvarez's visual art. Her illustrations are just, they're gorgeous. But the the story is really creepy. It's really eerie. Uh, this girl that appears to Sandy, named Morphe, she's nightmarish. Her character design is really ghostly. There's, there's something off about her right from the beginning. And as Morphe kind of takes hold in Sandy more and more, she becomes even scarier. Um, even more demonic. And what Morphe represents is really relatable to any artist. And I feel really pretentious and presumptuous even lumping myself in with a group of people called artists. But I, I am a writer and I do feel that need for validation and that need for affirmation that Sandy feels. I feel her self-doubt. Because Morphe is the only person in Sandy's life who really validates her art and says, you know, what you do has value. Sandy's, you know, she's a schoolgirl. She is doodling all the time. She would rather draw and paint and sketch than do her homework, than do her chores. She goes to Catholic school and her teachers are always getting on to her, telling her that her art is useless, that she daydreams too much. She spends too much time on things that aren't practical, aren't important. And I think a lot of people who are interested in creating things, whether it's visual art or music or writing or anything like that, I would be willing to bet that those people have heard that from people they trust or people they love or people in authority. I know I have heard that. And it hurts, you know, even as an adult, it hurts because to be told that something you're passionate about doesn't matter. That's a betrayal. That's, that's very painful. So seeing Sandy deal with that, it's something that kids will relate to, obviously, because people are really quick to dismiss kids' interests as, you know, they're unimportant because it's something that a kid likes or, oh, that's something you'll grow out of. Uh, and obviously I think that's wrong, but it's also something that adults will relate to. And it's something that makes Sandy really vulnerable to Morphe. That's kind of the key of a lot of possession stories is uh, demons go after the vulnerable. And Sandy's vulnerable because she doesn't get a lot of support and a lot of validation that if this is important to you, this is important. If it matters to you, it matters. Just by virtue of the fact that you love it, this is an important thing. It's not something that should be mocked or denigrated or dismissed or minimized. So I'm always fascinated by the ways that people are vulnerable in possession stories. A lot of times it's young people or it's someone who's mentally ill. And, you know, that's a discussion for another day. 
I'm, I'm sure that I will have an episode <laughs> where I talk about mental illness and it comes up a lot in a lot of our books that we're going to be talking about. But yeah, insecurities are things that make people vulnerable. And as an artist who gets told that her art is unimportant, Sandy's pretty vulnerable to morphine. So it's really this exploration of self-doubt, a need for outside affirmation, and this push and pull between trying to create for other people and trying to create for yourself. And that's a really cool idea to explore just in general. It's a really cool idea to explore in a kid's book because it feels very autobiographical on Lorena Alvarez's part. It feels like she was this schoolgirl who always, you know, quote unquote, had her head in the clouds, was always drawing, was always being told to put her drawings away and do something more important. And this is part of the insidiousness of artistic self-doubt because Alvarez seems to be talking about her own artistic insecurities in this book that is just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. Her use of color is astonishing. There are a few artists working today whose use of color really speaks to me. Um, Jen Bartel, who's a comic book artist primarily, Lorena Alvarez, and Camille Rose Garcia. They are probably the visual artists working today whose color work speaks to me the most. It's just fantastic. I can't talk enough about how wonderful the visual art is in this book. Her storytelling is really strong. It comes up a lot on the podcast that I love comic books. I love graphic novels. I love people who use that medium to explore horror, explore different things about the human condition. And it's not something that should be limited to kids books or is limited to kids books. But her storytelling is just amazing. Her panels are so organic and so fluid. There's so much imagination on every page. There's a lot of tension between wanting to race through this book to get to the end because you want to find out what's happening. You're really interested in Sandy and Morphe's relationship, how it evolves, how Sandy's going to get away from Morphe. But at the same time, there were double page spreads where I, I don't think I turned the page for 30 or 45 minutes because I was just staring at all these colors, all these shapes. There are all these details and all these really interesting blends of shapes and colors and forms. It's just really astonishing. I, I can't talk enough about how much I love Lorena Alvarez's art. She has a, a sequel to this called Hikatea, I believe is the pronunciation. I do hope it is. And I have not read that yet. I, you know, that's a common theme with me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, I, I love these books and then a follow-up comes out and then my to-be-read list is so long that I just I haven't gotten to it yet but I, I will. But she's also done cover art for other writers. Uh, she did the cover for Ghost Squad by Clarabelle Ortega and it's it's just as beautiful, it's just as cool, it's it's this really cool combination of eerie ghostly images and colorful inviting images. It's such a cool combination. I'm a really big fan of those kinds of juxtapositions where you've got something that's almost cartoony, but at the same time it's really frightening. And like I said, her use of color, I, I, could, I could host a podcast just on color artists and what they do with color theory. And I would do, I could do a series just on Lorena Alvarez. It is gorgeous. If you have never seen any of her art, you really need to check it out. And there's so much diversity in her book. 
We see a lot of scenes at Sandy's school and all of her classmates are there. And Alvarez is so good at detail. She's got so much diversity in her characters in terms of body type, body size, skin tone, hair texture, mobility. And that's part of the point of the book is Sandy's teachers especially are very rigid. They insist upon homogeneity. They want everybody to think alike. They want everybody to act alike. But Alvarez is really subtle. She puts in little details about all these people who look different and present differently, but they're still good people with important lives and important interests. It's a really subtle but really smart and effective way to show that diversity in terms of interests, in terms of personality, is a good thing. You know, this book is all about celebrating creativity, celebrating individuality, and that's one of the things that I love most about it, I think. I love that this is a call for kids to be themselves. It's a call for adults to be themselves. You don't have to be like everybody else. You don't have to be like anybody else. Be yourself, do what you love, and though it's easier said than done, try not to doubt yourself and try not to create for other people. Create what you love, what speaks to you, what comes from inside of you. But with all of that said, it's still a really creepy, really eerie possession story. Morphe is very frightening. She's pretty. She's a pretty girl. But demons are often very beautiful. That's part of the temptation sometimes to let something into your life that's not good for you. She can be very terrifying sometimes. And the final panel, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but the final panel is such a, a cold feeling in the pit of your stomach moment. It's such a beautiful image and it's such a creepy ending. It's one of the reasons I keep rereading this book because I want to experience that journey and experience that narrative and then have that cold rush of dread at the end. Like, oh no, this is not a horror story that gets tied up neatly with a bow. You know, that's part of the appeal of horror is that the fear extends past the pages or it, it extends past the frame of the movie. It lingers with you and it stays with you and it lets you know that there are dangers in the world outside of this book that you're reading. So Nightlights by Lorena Alvarez. Like I said, it's, it's a graphic novel. It's kind of oversized. It's a very large book. It's not thick, but it's kind of unwieldy. I don't know that it would be something that would be easy to read on like public transit or anything once it's safe for everybody to go outside again. <laughs> but it's a really beautiful book. I highly recommend that you get it. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, honestly. And like I said, it's it's a quick read if you don't allow yourself to linger on the pages for a long time like I did. You can read this really quickly and absorb the story or you can linger on those pages and look at the art and take in all the details and all the colors and there's no wrong way to do it. I've done both because like I said, you want to race through this book to find out what's going to happen. But but at the same time, you just want to appreciate that art for as long as you can. So Lorraine Alvarez, Nightlights, it's a gorgeous book that you can appreciate at any age and I highly recommend that you pick it up. So those are my two main recommendations for demon and possession stories. In future episodes, I'm, I may circle back because obviously I have plenty of books to choose from, but these are two that I love the most. And they both take a really interesting approach to demonology and possession. Possession horror speaks to our fear of losing ourselves, of losing our identities, of not knowing our identities. And that's such a cool thing to explore in kids books because you're figuring out who you are, you're 
figuring out where your boundaries lie. You're figuring out how much to take in from other people. How much of what your parents say and what your teachers say is something that you believe to be true. Something that you think that you really should internalize. And it's a way of figuring out what to take in, what to remove from yourself. Because sometimes we have to unlearn things we learned as kids and we have to kind of exercise those demons. We have to push out the things that are not truly ourselves. So this push and pull between what's really us and what's an outside force that's trying to warm its way into ourselves, that's a really cool thing to explore in horror. And the good demon and nightlights both do that really brilliantly, I think. So as always, if you enjoyed the show, please give me a like, give me a follow, leave me a comment. If you've read the books, please let me know what you thought. Or if you go out and read the books, please let me know what you thought. I really hope you check these books out and you enjoy them. If you do have kids in your life, I hope you share them with those kids. If you don't, I hope you just enjoy these books for what they are. They're great kids literature. They're great literature, period. And I hope that you really enjoy them. So thanks so much for listening. This has been Monster Books Podcast, and I'll see you next time. Squad.